remote is not the only thing that you can do to be more balanced friendly. And even if you are remote, it's not simply working away from the office. It's allowing people to work the way that they need to work. Because if you are requiring that people are online from eight to five every day, even if they're remote, do they really get the benefit of being remote? You know, if there needs to be some, I shouldn't say there needs to be, it is helpful for there to be an element of your employees owning their time and being able to work the way that suits them. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, president of Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. And this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Work-life balance is something that companies are told their employees want, but it's hard to pin down exactly what it means and how much of that balance is really dependent on the employer's contribution versus the priorities employees set in their own lives. Can we really have it all? Joining me today to discuss work-life balance is Suzanne Brown. Suzanne is a fractional chief marketing officer and work-life balance speaker, consultant, and award-winning author of a book series called Mom Powerment. She empowers companies and working parents to think differently about balance and take action. Suzanne is a contributor to Harvard Business Review, and her insights have been featured in major publications, including the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So let's start with definitions. When you're talking about work-life balance, what does that mean? So when I talk about work-life balance, I'm really referring to the concept of having a long-term approach to your life. So this isn't a 50-50 split on a daily basis. This is literally looking at your time over the course of a week, a month, a quarter, a year, and fitting in the things that are most important to you. And that, and I should add that that's with time and energy. So just because you can fit it in doesn't mean you actually have the energy to engage or to be active. You know, the, the point is to have the time, the energy, the space for those things that you really care about and those people that you really care about. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can definitely, you know, think through that and, and, and see that. I'm just a boy who can't say no. So I serve on several boards that are actual <laughs> working boards, not just, you know, something for the resume. So I'm, uh, you know, actively working to, you know, help these organizations become better. Um, and then I've got, you know, I've got my family, I've got my company, I've got my friends, I teach yoga. I've got a lot going on that doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily, you know, contribute to the bottom line. And, and I feel like, you know, sometimes I overcommit. Um, but, um, I've, you know, I've struggled, you know, in the 25 years I've had this company at times with knowing, you know, I feel guilty if I'm not serving my clients right now. And at the same time, I feel guilty if when my kids were young and at home, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, at every single event that they've got at school or whatever else. 
And so that push and pull is a little bit of a challenge. Like you, though, I'm an entrepreneur. So and in entrepreneurial circles, I'm hearing more and more conversation because this is a hot topic always um, about work-life integration rather than balance. Like you said, it's not a 50-50 thing. It's, you know, at this moment, maybe my job-related responsibilities are demanding more of my time. And then at this other moment, I, I need to prioritize, you know, these things with my family or these other relationships I have. Um, is integration a better term than balance, do you think? Or it, it, does that concept miss something? I think it depends on a lot of things. It can depend on the individual. It can depend on the, um, there's an element of generational difference there. Um, as a Gen Xer, you might be more about balance because Gen Xers, and for that matter, baby boomers, want to be able to work and then clock out, right? Like I've done I've done my day and I'm, I'm ready to be done here. Um, whereas younger generations, might be more interested in the in in embracing the choppiness and so it's more of the integration of being able to walk out of work whether you're in the office or whether you work remotely and go to that yoga class or whether you want to go and volunteer for an organization that you're passionate about and so i think it can really depend on the person but what it comes down to is whatever you want to call it people want it, right? Like people are trying to embrace a more balanced lifestyle, regardless of what you want to call it. And so if you focus so much on the term, then you kind of lose sight of of what's behind the idea. So it really boils down to the individual knowing what their priorities are. And and, you know, my, one of my priorities is putting food on the table, but the other priorities are these other things. And so I've just got to figure out what's going to be most fulfilling and what's necessary and and sort those things. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a combination of understanding priorities and being able to reprioritize, right? Because things come up and you need to be able to adjust. And then there's the side of boundaries. So you have to know, based on those priorities, what are the things that are most important to you? You know, as a parent, it might be, I want to make sure that we eat dinner together four or five nights a week, right? As um, as someone else, it might be, I'm really concerned about my health, and that's really a focus for me. So I want to make sure that I carve out time to work out. For someone else, it might be, an organization you're really passionate passionate about or a cause you're passionate about. And so you've got to carve out that time. And so I think it's it's not just the priorities. It's actually being able to say no, right? It's being able to say no to these things so that you have room to say yes to these other things over here. And so that's kind of a combination in a very sim- simple way of looking at it. It's a combination of priorities and boundaries and how those two align. Okay, so, but all of this seems to tie back to what the individual, you know, their boundaries, their priorities and all that. So where does the employer come in? Why do they, you know, employment's a, basically a voluntary agreement, right? I'll pay you to do this work and then you do this work and, and you'll get paid. Um, what's the argument for employers having a role in, in figuring, helping employees figure out or achieve this balance? Uh and you know why should they why should they really care 
So there's a few reasons why employers should be paying attention to this. The first is that over time, employees have become more and more aware of how much time they literally spend working, right? I mean, for most, at least in the U.S., you're talking about at least 40 hours a week. So it's a huge chunk of an employee's time. And they are looking to their employer to help them create a, um, a holistic view of balance and well-being. And so that's not just work-life balance. That is financial health. That is um, that's mental health. That is the space to have social health, right? And so that is one thing that employers need to be incredibly conscious of because this is something employees are demanding from their employers as part of the agreement that they have with their employer, right? So that's one side. Another side is, realistically, the pandemic, I think the best way to think about it is the pandemic compressed the timeline for what is socially acceptable and what is desired and what people were willing to vocalize. And so it pulled back the curtain for working parents on what is the reality of work-life balance. How are you managing all of these things as a mother? And dads were able to become more involved in the lives of their family members, right? And so that is one piece. So you have this compressed timeline, which I think eventually it would have become more acceptable. But because of the pandemic, that timeline just was shortened dramatically. And then the final thing is, I think that employees, and it, it started with Gen X, and it has only become more amplified with um, both uh, millennials and Gen Z, there is a desire for work-life balance. They spend so much time that they are realizing, I need that offset of whatever it is in order to be better at what I do in the workplace and in order to have a life that I enjoy. And so it's not as simple as, oh, well, if you only do this for moms and dads, then everything will fall into place. The younger generations are demanding this not because they have kids, but because literally they walk into the door and they say, I deserve to have work-life balance. I deserve to be able to have this balanced lifestyle and that's literally just because I exist and I'm a person, right? Not because I've worked in this industry for 20 years and I have a family and I have this and I have that. It's literally because they have arrived and they understand their value. And they are that is something that they are actively looking for. And so I think it is, it's just become more of a thing that employers have to pay attention to. And if you want happy, healthy employees, and I don't just mean healthy in the perspective of, um, you know, they can run a mile. I mean, literally just healthy, just all around healthy. It is helpful to understand what your employees want as far as a balanced lifestyle. You will actually benefit with more productive employees and it will actually impact your bottom line. So it makes a difference. So if it's um, a, it, a an employee attraction and retention issue, um, and, uh, you know, should employers 
you know, be looking at it as, okay, well, we're, you know, we're going to offer these specific programs to attract, you know, a certain part of the workforce that we may not have tra- attracted otherwise. Um, and, and then figure out, you know, what the potential costs are of doing that. I mean, what are the downsides for an employer? What are the considerations an employer might express, uh, concerns that they may express when saying, okay, well, you know, we, we've traditionally been a, an eight to five with an hour lunch break office. And now all these dang, dang millennials, uh, want, uh, you know, all this flex time and all this, uh, and it's screwing up our system. What's the cost of that? How do you, how do they qualify what the, you know, the bottom line value of it is? I love this question because I know that people look at this and they say, okay, well, there's just a cost, right? There's only a cost to add this um, this perspective and this approach to employee. And, and it's there's an element of, um, of keeping the employees in the door and there's an, an, an element of attracting, right? So it's, so it's both those sides of HR. But here's the thing. One of the most important things for you to think about is what does it cost for employees to walk out the door, right? And if you traditionally, if you look at this, it is around 50 to 200% of an employee's salary. There's a little more to it because if you have an employee who walks out the door and they go to a competitor, right? Not only have you lost that knowledge and experience, your competitor has gained it. So it's like a double whammy, right? Right. So there's that piece of it. But there is a cost associated with these people walking out the door. And there is a cost with a drop in productivity. Literally, there is a financial hit to your bottom line if you have employees who are less productive. And so if you have a bunch of employees who are burned out, you are going to feel it as an organization. You're gonna have more mistakes. You're not going to have employees who are going to be excited about bringing somebody in that's new. That that can actually impact how you are able to attract talent. It's not just retaining talent, right? If you have somebody who, who, when you go to a, a recruiting event and they're like, we work like 14 hour days and yeah, it's interesting work. I mean, who's going to want to join that kind of organization realistically? So when you look at this, I always tell managers and HR teams, don't simply look at this as a cost. Don't look at this and say, well, it's going to cost $100,000 to do this. It's going to cost $10,000 to do this. When you go to have a strategic conversation with your senior leadership, you want to be able to think about this is what it costs if we don't do any of these things. And this is what it costs to implement them. See how there's a, a, you know, and then compare them because it might actually save you money to implement some things. And some of these might not have a huge cost. Creating a, a remote friendly environment, if you have called people back, Yes, there are generally some kind of costs, right? It, it is almost nothing is absolutely free to implement. But the cost could be relatively low, and that could save you how many tens of thousands of dollars because people don't walk out the door, because you can attract this stellar talent 
when you go and you try recruiting at um, at a university or at a conference or to you know just simply at a recruiting event, all of a sudden you've got a line of people because you have been in a more balanced, friendly um, mindset as an employer, and people are like, I got to work for this company, right? All of a sudden that changes what it's like financially. And you're not just simply thinking, okay, how much is it gonna cost me to put this in place, right? And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. At Imperative, we help risk-averse clients make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. Basically, if there are people involved, there's risk involved. We help businesses mitigate that risk. We're here to be of service to you at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRB certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 134 and enter the keyword balance. That's B-A-L-A-N-C-E. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Suzanne Brown. So you mentioned uh, work, uh, remote work. What have you seen, you know, since a large portion of the workforce now is remote fully or at least hybrid, what have you seen? How has remote work impacted work-life balance? You know, there have actually been studies that have shown that remote has a positive financial impact. Calling people back to the office does not make people more productive. So there is a financial benefit to having a remote environment that does require potentially a shift in how you do business. It might require a change in how you collaborate or how you onboard people because you don't have that cultural environment that you walk into anymore, right? Like, this is what we offer. You might have to think a little differently. How you do um, team bonding could be different. And so there's that side, but there's still that, they have constantly, you are getting more information that shows that remote is not a hindrance, but it is a different way of doing business, right? And I think the other thing to think about is remote is not the only thing that you can do to be more balanced friendly. And even if you are remote, it's not simply working away from the office. It's allowing people to work the way that they need to work. Because if you are requiring that people are online from eight to five every day, even if they're remote, do they really get the benefit of being remote? You know, if there needs to be some, I shouldn't say there needs to be, it is helpful for there to be an element of your employees owning their time and being able to work the way that suits them. You know, being able to leave the office and go pick up kids and bring them home. For you as an employer, you might think, 
I mean, is that really going to help? But all of a sudden, as a parent, you don't have to figure out who's going to pick up my child. How do I deal with aftercare? You know, like all of a sudden, all of those layers are gone. So you don't have to worry about, or you don't have to worry in the same way about that side of things. And so you're a focused employee because you were able to leave for 20 minutes, pick up your kid, come back and focus again on your work, right? Like that that shows my employer understands what I'm dealing with. My employer embraces that and supports me in the things that I actually need. And so I don't want listeners to only think, okay, got it, on my to-do list, offer remote and I'm done. There are, there are definitely more layers to it. You know, a lot of employers are saying, you know, because I, I hear it all the time, well, yeah, they're remote, and yeah, we can give them some flexibility, but the employees who don't need the flexibility and are getting the job done are more reliable, and, uh, you know, I know I can give them a last-minute assignment and get it knocked out and not have to worry about any of their other stuff getting in the way. Is there a penalty for those employees who take advantage of some sort of, you know, work-life balance or the flexibility or whatever it is that an employer offers as be, as far as being competitive with the rest of their peers for the next job, the ne- you know, the, the, the next promotion, whatever? You know, I think it really depends on how you look at it as an employer, because I can tell you, as an example, with working parents... When you think about working parents, they are important for two reasons, right? They are often your mid-level manager, and so they have all kinds of influence over more junior employees. So they are modeling behavior where they show we understand and we support the other things that you have going on in your life. And as a caregiver, that could be caring for an aging parent as well, right? So there's that piece of of working parents. And then there is also the piece of these are literally your future leaders, right? These are the people who in five, 10 years will be in your C-suite. And if you look at the studies, there's a really great study that was done that showed that having women in the... um, in 30% of your top um, most senior roles, so C-suite and like the next level down, actually has a positive financial impact. And if you're talking about a um, an industry that is highly competitive, having a positive financial impact because you have had these women actually move through the ranks and stay with your organization it matters, right? In those highly competitive industries, having a 1% difference can be huge financially. And the mention, the reason why I mention women is one in three women in an organization is a working mother for the most part. And so it, it can have a huge impact if you are trying to track over time and have these women stay or attract these women at senior levels of their career. And so that's part of why it's important. And the other thing to think about is, I mean, I will say this as a as a young person, I was willing to put in the time. I was willing to put in the time, willing to put in the hours. I will also say though, I was also willing to leave an organization 
when I saw another organization that was willing to pay me the same amount of money or more, and they understood that I wanted to have a life. You know, I, I remember um, getting a job offer from an organization when I was at like a director level, and it was a new company. They essentially kind of pulled back and they were not going to give me the, um, the title um, bump, right? They were going to pay me only a little bit more, which when you think about it over the course of the year would have been like $50 a paycheck. And they were saying that it was going to be 60 hour work weeks. Was I really gonna go to that organization? And I wasn't a mom. You know, I wasn't thinking about that aspect of my life, but I was very much able to to articulate, like, how do you think that this is a legitimate offer? You know, right. and, and, and so I think that that's the thing to think about. More and more, you have these younger um, employees who are saying, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to work for me. So it's almost like you have to think about these things in order to be competitive because people will deliver. If you acknowledge that they are, um, you know, the other areas of their life that they care about, don't you think people are going to be more willing to work really hard for for you when you need them to? You know, like, yeah, let's put in the time and let's get this done. Because when I go on vacation next week, you're not going to bother me. <laughs> right? Like, but again, you kind of have to think about things in a broader sense, not just for one specific project or not just for one specific department. And, you know, the... The topic of unlimited PTO. I mean, it blew up a few years ago. We're going to give all our employees an unlimited PTO. And I felt like from the very beginning, this is going to not work. And sure enough, you know, you look, the employees with unlimited PTO are less likely to take their paid time off than employees with set amounts of PTO. So if an employer says, look, this is a 40 hour week job, we give you all the paid holidays, we give you three weeks of PTO every every year to use however the heck you want to. Um, what else can an employer do to create, you know, what does a policy look like to create a, you know, a flexible or, you know, a, um, a you know, a work-life balance oriented uh, role? What is the, what are the, what kind of things do I need to have in place to even think about that? So the one that I think that employers forget the most often is having a strategic um, approach to meetings, okay? Because this is one you literally deal with every day. I mean, think of how many hours you spend in meetings a day or a week. Do you have to have all those meetings? Are they all necessary? Chances are probably not right? And so if you can think about meetings more strategically, where do you employees actually need to be instead of, well, let's just have a meeting about it, right? Hmm. And that requires looking at, you know, making sure people do homework, having meetings be action-oriented, giving homework after a meeting, not having a, um, a massive CYA so that everybody has to come and feel like they need to attend. It's having the right people in the room and being able to, to share with other people, here's what happened. 
I need you, Mike, to take care of this. Um, maybe you can attend the next meeting. It's being able to say, hey, I know that you don't have all of this time. I really need you here for these 15 minutes. That's really what, what matters, but that requires you having an agenda. So meetings are incredibly important when it comes to trying to create a more balanced, friendly environment. And I think it is so often overlooked. Another one to think about is, you have hired these employees because of their skill, because you trust them, because they bring something to the table, because you saw something in them that you said, I've gotta have him, I've gotta have her. Like they must be on my team, they must be in this department. But then you put so many policies in place on making sure that they're doing the things, that they're available, that they are here when they say they're here. If they are performing, and they are getting things done and they are exceeding your expectations. Does it matter if they do the work at 10 a.m. or at 10 p.m.? Right? If you if they are delivering the work so that I can pick it up. So you are not only are you working remotely, but you have asynchronous time, right? And and you are actually able to work when it makes sense. We have our designated meeting times when we do need to be available, but that's not all day, every day. And so you get your work done and you're more of a night owl, let's just say. I'm more of a morning person. So as long as you turn in your work and I have my work, I have it in my inbox so that I can work on it when I need to work on it, does it really matter when it's done? Yeah, and I think that's something that, uh works, you know, is easier to work on for your non-exempt employees, your salaried employees. Uh, right. I mean, your exempt employees, your salaried employees, you know, they, you know, we're going to pay you a salary, you get the job done, we really don't care. And I think, you know, it, it's more difficult for employers who have uh, employees who are, you know, need to be on site or hourly. Uh, and, you know, they're facing customers, things like that. I think that's you know a little bit more challenging because we're paying them by the hour to do their job, and if it's you know, not getting yes. done, then you know somebody else is going to have to step in and do it. So I think that's you know it's kind of the you know one of the privileges of being you know at, at, at a level in your career where you're you know you can be exempt if you've got the you know if you meet the FLSA requirements for that. Um, so. You know, I think that's you know the concern a lot of employers have, and and it's certainly some some of the anecdotal experiences have been. You know, I said when we went remote, uh, when everybody went remote in 2020, the employers who have good management systems in place where they, you know, they can measure productivity, they can tell if the employee is getting the job done, uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be fine as we go remote. It's the employers who manage by walking around, you know, make sure everybody looks busy and all of that that are having. And I think that's, you know, certainly an experience, uh, you know, my experience with our clients on, on my consulting side, that's been the, that's been the issue. But, um, you know, if I'm if I'm an employer and a lot of my workforce is hourly and maybe they've got to be available for clients at certain times or we work, at, you know, we've got team things. Uh, what what are some other ways that an employer can build in, you know, some opportunities for more work life balance for for an employee? And by the way, you're so right about meetings. I mean, we do really good, very very few, uh, and they always have an agenda, and we're really you know big on not wasting time in meetings. 
but I do remember from, you know, my, the dark days of my corporate world, uh, there were a lot of meetings that were there for, uh, you know, with no real value. So, but back to the question, what, what else can we do about, uh, to offer, you know, some sort of, you know, work-life balance to employees who maybe don't have the, the luxury of, uh, of, you know, being able just to get the job done. So there are some other remote, not remote friendly, balance friendly things that you can put in place. So for example, could you do um, a slightly later shift or an earlier shift? So essentially you shift time. So maybe they don't start promptly at eight. You allow some employees to start at nine. Maybe you allow some employees to start at seven because chances are something needs to be done either before you start dealing with customers or once your day has started. Even having what is essentially a split shift so that you, you know, you go eight to noon and then they start up again um, uh, two to six, right? So there might be that chance so that they still have that middle of the day so they can go and volunteer at the pet shelter, you know, like, like there are so many different ways that you can split up the time. I mean, part of it also is embracing part-time employees. You know, not every role that you have, customer facing or, or internal, needs to be a full-time role, right? So often we assume, okay, well, it's got to be at least 40 hours. All right, let me figure out what I can do for 40 hours. Sometimes you just don't need that much time, but you think, well, if I give somebody this job and it's part-time, then they're not going to be as solid an employee. They're not going to be, they're not going to care as much. That is not necessarily true. It can literally be that they cannot work a full-time schedule and they are going to be devoted and they're super capable. They just literally can't work 40 hours. And you've seen tons of research. I mean, there was a whole study done in the UK where they showed the benefit of part-time work and the fact that people were making things happen. Now, yes, there could still be employees where you cannot do part-time work, right? Like you, you simply cannot because you need all the round, you know, all of the hours of day care in healthcare. You know, at a hospital, you can't say, okay, well, everybody can leave from 12 to 2. Like that absolutely mm -hmm. doesn't work. So being able to understand some of these other things, maybe it's that they, um, maybe full time can be that you work three days a week and that still, you know, that still ends up to 40 hours, but that's more of a salaried employee. There, mm -hmm. The idea is be as creative as you can be and that can open up all kinds of things. And the most basic of these things is ask. Ask your employees what they need, ask them what they struggle with, ask them what motivates them. And that that does require training your managers to be able to, to pull this information out of your employees because you can't simply say, are you happy as an employee? And the employee says, uh, yes. Okay, I checked the box, right? Like it's not that simple. You have to ask things in a few different ways. You've got to get creative in how you ask the questions. You can say, you know, is it fine for you to start at eight o'clock? And someone says, yes. And then you say, what struggles do you have in the morning? And they say, um, you know, I, I don't have time to drop off my child. Okay, all of a sudden that helps you understand 
maybe we need to have a slightly start, slightly later start to the day for some of our employees, right? And that was because you asked the question in a different way instead of making somebody feel when they answer a survey that I have to answer yes or I'm going to be in trouble. I have to answer mm. it's fine or I'm going to be in trouble. You know, so being creative in, in asking those questions and asking them more than once um, because you're asking them in different ways can give you that information because if you assume things as a leader, chances are you're going to miss something. If you as a leader say, this is what helps me, that might not reflect what your employees need. That might not reflect what your team needs or your more junior employees need. Um, and so being able to ask that and and pull out those meaningful answers, which managers can get, ERG leaders can get, you know, there, there are naturally those people in a department who aren't necessarily the head of the department or the head of a team, but they are the people who everybody goes to for advice. Right. Asking them, what are people coming to you for? You know, right. for those, those if yeah. you if you have a mentor um, program, being able to ask mentors, what are people coming and asking you about? All of a sudden, you start having more data points that help you figure out whether a salaried employee or somebody who works hourly, what do they need help with? And another uh, you know, thought that comes to mind is looking at your progressive discipline issues. You know, do I have a problem with a key performer who's great, but she's constantly late? And uh, and so and I talk, you know, so what's rather than saying, hey, you know, what time we start here? Uh, and we're going to hold you accountable for that, and which is all important, but also saying, you know, what's going on? Why, you know, why are you not yeah. here at, you know, eight o'clock uh, every morning? Why, why is it always eight fifteen? Um, and then having the conversation about what their needs are and and identifying it that way, having managers who are empowered uh, to have those conversations and know that they can do something about it if if it's right. if it's a you know. Uh, you know, it falls short of, you know, generally, a, you know, an accommodation like ADA or anything like that. But we just say, okay, this is a problem that, you know, you're having, we want you to be successful in the organization. And, you know, let's try this alternate schedule. Let's, let's schedule you from 815 or 830. Let's give you some breathing time. So you're not, you know, you don't feel like you're racing to work just to get here. Um, and, Maybe you take a half hour lunch instead of an hour lunch, or maybe you, you know, work an extra, you know, you know, half hour in the evening or something like that. But I think having employers or frontline supervisors who understand that this is a priority, that there's value in it and, right. um, you know, and just hang the, hang the, uh, the sword over their head saying, or you can go try to find another, a new employee. You can lose somebody who knows what they're doing and you can go through yeah. all the headache and, and hassle of, you know, attracting and re, uh, recruiting somebody and training them and, and hoping they, they are as good as this other performer. Right. Well, and I think the, 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 you've kind of hinted at it, but, but the, the last piece of that is having people feel like they're empowered to actually utilize the things you have in place. If you have... Um, a great uh, policy where people can start earlier or later, but everyone is afraid to actually work that way because what's everyone going to think, right? 
that is not helpful to you as an organization. You might as well not have that policy. So it's almost like doing the things out loud as a, as a manager, for example. I'm leaving now so that I can go pick up my child. I'm leaving now because I go and volunteer at you know blah, blah, blah organization. Being able to say that so that your employees say, oh, I can do that too. Oh, okay, okay. Right? It's it is, you know, if somebody does go on vacation, it is saying, "Hey, what do you, you know, what do we need to worry about when you're gone so that we don't contact you?" and saying, "I'm going on vacation. Please do not contact me. You know, I am not going to be available or I am only going to check email from this time to this time because I know that this is a busy time, but I still have to go on this, you know, I'm going to my niece's graduation or whatever it is, right? Like being able to very openly indicate like, this is when I'm available. This is when I'm not so that other people can can model their behavior based on what you're doing. That is the perfect place to end it. That's all the time we have. But thank you, Suzanne, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I loved our chat. I did too. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.